0: Welcome to episode eight of our Chapel Podcast series, Fruit of the Spirit. This week's fruit is faithfulness. Brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Reverend Dr. Helen Dick. Anyone who's been in a class with me will know that the likelihood of this being recorded is really minimal. <laughs> but it's ticking over, <laughs> so we, we will trust in God's faithfulness. <laughs> my experience in chaplaincy. Some of the stories of suffering and pain that I've been told have simply reduced me to silence. Mm -hmm. I simply have not been able to think what I could say to such devastating experience that could communicate my belief that God had not and would not forsake them. Because for the person concerned, this was often a time when God seemed... Distant, silent, uncaring. And they wondered if God could be trusted or even if God existed at all. And I think the writer of Lamentations reflects some of that feeling, clearly experiencing extraordinarily difficult circumstances as well, finding God distant and silent. Jerusalem has been ransacked by the Babylonians The inhabitants have been sent into into exile and it seems that God has given up on the people who were to be his representatives to the rest of the world. The book of Lamentations opens how lonely sits the city that once was full of people and it largely continues in that vein. There is a reason why it's called Lamentations. The book, which is thought by some to have been written by Jeremiah, but probably wasn't, is divided in, am I right,? Rachel? <laughs> 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 is divided into five chapters, which the commentators described either as poems or dirges. And certainly they are almost relentlessly bleak. Yeah. Chapters one and two and the beginning of chapter three are devoted to describing the author's agony and pain. The fall of Jerusalem has brought him pain, deep pain, for his community and for himself. And he describes hunger and poverty and fatigue and captivity, mockery, bitter humiliation and deep distress. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Wormwood and gall being bitter plants, symbolizing his pain and his wretched state of mind. And perhaps surprisingly to some of our modern Western ears, the author goes on to readily attribute all of these disasters to God. Lamentations 3.1 states, I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He talks... I'm assuming it's he, (laughs) because there is nothing that's said otherwise. He talks of God having turned his hand against him, besieged him, hedged him in, made him walk in darkness and shut out his prayer. All of this is God's doing. But he acknowledges that these these actions are a consequence of Judah's unfaithfulness. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, he says, and so as a consequence... He believes God has brought Jerusalem's disaster and misery. So coming forward two and a half thousand years, we may not, we may or may not want to buy into that notion that God causes such pain and tribulation. Or that misfortune is always a divine response to sin. But I think that for many of us, there is, and many in the world, there is still a sense when things go wrong in our lives or in the world that surely an all-powerful God has to take some responsibility for our suffering. One of the most common questions I've been asked in ministry is why does God allow such terrible things to happen or why has God done this? When disaster or tragedy hits an individual or a community or the whole globe, as with COVID, The question of God's apparent indifference or intention is common. And for some, it crushes their faith. How can we trust or believe in a God who allows this stuff? However, going back to the passage, we can see that in verse 21, there is a sudden switch of mood. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Words of hope and faith that remind us that no matter what is going wrong, God is still faithful. And the author, and as the author recalls God's faithfulness, It seems he finds some solace and reassurance. And in the face of all of this tragedy, he declares his confidence that God continues to love, to remain faithful to the covenant with God's people, even though they have broken their part of the covenant. His love and mercies never end, his love and compassion. And the Hebrew word used in this passage is hesed which most of you probably know sometimes uh, translated as steadfast love or faithful loving kindness. And I'm told it's almost impossible to capture its meaning in a single, single English word or phrase. But it conveys that sense of God's faithful faithfulness to his covenant. So the writer acknowledge, acknowledges this has said as part of God's character And and then goes on to recount some of Israel's wisdom sayings about how best to engage with suffering. He exhorts the sufferer to recognise that the Lord's intentions are benevolent and that in in times of distress, the best course consists of waiting quietly for God's salvation to arrive. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I think those profound words of faith have echoed down the centuries and particularly known to us in the hymn Great is Thy Faithfulness and words that have brought comfort and encouragement to many. It appears that as the author directs his thoughts to God's faithfulness he begins to recover his trust in God and trust in God's faithful goodness. And I thought this made for a pretty tidy sermon. The problem is the silence of God. The answer from Scripture is, well, remember God's faithfulness. And the application then becomes, well, remember God's faithfulness in tough times, and all will be well. And I think that there is a lot in that. I think that, that, that is not, that not without merit. But when I was chatting to Rachel, somebody should have told me that she did Lamentations as a little PhD. <laughs> she gently pointed out, that there was quite a bit more to the story. So I went back, and sure enough, in chapters 4 and and 5, despite all those wonderful, faithful words, the writer returns to his grief, still wanting to talk about the disasters in, in real detail. It seems that despite his intellectual knowledge of God's faithfulness, He still needs to talk about his pain and his grief and to retell his story over and again. And it's striking that after those wonderful words of faith, the book of Lamentations closes with two heart-rending questions. Why have you forgotten us so completely? Why have you forsaken us these many days? And the plea, restore restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, and unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. So the writer is still struggling with the grief and the uncertainty of the seeming silence of God. And I think that that, that is an experience that many of us will share, that we will state our faith as strongly as we can And yet sometimes it still seems that our prayers are not being answered and our our faith can appear to ring hollow. What does God's apparent silence mean for our faith and faithfulness? How can we persist in trusting God when our pain continues, when God doesn't appear to answer our prayer and we feel abandoned by the one we have invested our trust in? And it's not much talked about in the church, but many of us and many of the people we care for may know times of God's apparent silence, what's referred to by St. John of God as the dark night of the soul, as individuals and as communities. There may sometimes be times of tragedy or exhaustion or betrayal when it seems as if everything is lost and God has forgotten us. And we can think of the disciples after the crucifixion hiding in fear in their rooms or even Jesus in his words of dereliction on the cross. Of course, as people of the New Testament, we have the advantage of knowing more about God's faithfulness to humanity and creation than the people of uh, the exile. We know the extraordinary, extraordinary evidence of God's faithfulness in the life Death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Gospels show us an incarnational God, God present with us in Jesus Christ, who knows and understands the anguish and the sorrow that that inhabits our grief. A God whose faithfulness is such that death and suffering have been taken into God's own life. And then the resurrection shows that God's faithfulness is always greater than our unfaithfulness. In the face of the very worst that humanity can do to God, the Son dies for us and our sins. So we know we don't need to fear retribution from God. We can trust God's promise that a time will come when all the disappointment and pain and despair of the world will be transformed into new life. In the signs of the Trinity, which are there in the Old Testament but more obvious in the New, we can see that faithfulness is part of God's being. God was and is faithful before time, in time and beyond time in the loving, giving and faithful relationship of Father, Son and Spirit, a community of however What I want to suggest is that despite all that we know, our faithfulness is not necessarily apparent in experience of strong, in a strong feeling of faith or confidence or an unwavering certainty in what we believe, particularly in difficult times. I want to suggest that faithfulness does not have to mean being full of faith in the sense of an emotion. But faithfulness, is something which is lived out in our commitment to act on the promises we have made to God. What Paul talked about, aligning ourselves with the covenant of God. Being faithful to our memories of God's faithfulness in the past. Being faithful to the witness of scripture and the witness of other believers, despite whatever present realities have called us to to, uh, call our faith into question. Faith is is as much about trust as correct belief. And then faithfulness is about being trustworthy as much as about believing. Faithfulness is sometimes just keeping my promise to follow in the way of Christ to the best of my ability no matter how I feel. Despite, and going back to the passage again, despite the pain and despair of the exile community, it seems as if, the community was faithful in preserving the traditions of their faith, at least to some extent, so that they were able to resume worship in the temple when they eventually returned. Maybe it was remembering God's faithfulness in the midst of their pain that allowed them to continue their journey as God's people in this strange land. It seems that that might have uh, the exile might have been when synagogues were first established, recalling God's faithfulness. So recalling God's faithfulness at times of darkness and difficulty is really important. Connecting with what we have known of the faithful presence of God in our lives and in the world is always useful in difficult times. But it may still be a long and difficult journey to know the full joy of faith. It was a long time until the people of the exile got back to Jerusalem. And the writer demonstrates that knowing God's faithfulness at an intellectual level doesn't necessarily take away our pain and fear and fill us with peace and faith. Mm. though it might, and, and it is wonderful when it does, and it does. But it's agonising when it doesn't. So at those times, when we or someone we know is in a dark place and waiting for the light to shine, then I really want to make the point that the role of the body of Christ is to embody the faithfulness of God for us and for them. In our worst days, we need the community of faith to accompany us, to listen to our pain and our fear and our questions, not to demand of us platitudes but to reassure us that no matter how we feel, we are still loved and God will not let us go. God's faithfulness does not depend on how we feel. And the individualism of Western society sometimes leads us to believe that we have to travel our faith journeys on our own. But the witness of Scripture is that we are part of the body of faith and we journey together. And I have seen the comfort that people can find when I say that while I absolutely understand that they are finding it impossible in the moment to believe and to pray to God, I believe that they can rest in the faith of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. To know that the body of Christ will live out God's faithfulness by believing and praying on their behalf, by reciting the creeds and reading the scriptures and worshipping and singing hymns and celebrating the sacraments until their faith is nourished and they are ready to believe again. And they can say for themselves, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.